This morning, if you turn into your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24, I want to share a message with you that the Lord laid on my heart a few months ago. Uh, it's probably been at least three months ago uh, that the, the Lord gave it to me. Uh, so long ago, actually, probably been even further back than that. It might be four months ago, but um, that when we actually met for our uh, prayer partners' prayer retreat, um, I had already had this in my devotions the week or two before and had written down some things for a message and, and uh, we began to talk about our prayer retreat and our focus was going to be on our families. And, um, and I said, well, apparently what I had planned was for this. So some of this message that I'm speaking today is something that I shared at our prayer retreat. Uh, and I told, I warned our prayer partners that were there that to, to be ready, I'll probably share this in a service soon. But there was only about 30 of us there, and uh, 30 compared to whatever's been here total today will probably end up being about 175 or so. Uh, in comparison to that, uh, I think that we all need to hear it, so I'm sharing it. Is that okay with you? Even if it's not okay, it's too late, you're here, and I'm going to do it. So, so uh, hang in there. But Joshua 24, we live in a culture where families are under attack, and uh, purposeful under attack by the enemy. You know, there's not any age group that is uh, null and void from the attack of the enemy. The enemy wants to destroy all of us. We saw that happen this last week in France, didn't we? And uh, one of the things that I saw on the news was uh, a lady come on and say there, there's bodies everywhere. Men, women, and children. And you know, that's, that's the heart of the enemy that we deal with. I'm not just talking about uh, extremists or anything of that nature. I'm not talking about terrorists. I'm talking about our adversary, the devil, who has deceived those who behave this way. Amen? That's, that's the heart of, of the enemy of God. And uh, so families are under attack, both in that manner and also spiritually. The, the, the devil wants to divide. He wants to separate. Uh, he wants to destroy. And uh, so this morning, I want to view this passage in light of this fact, because as a pastor... Uh, you know, I counsel a lot of folks, and, and many of you in this room, and I trust me, I'm going to be respectful of the things that have been counseled with people. I'm not going to share anything. But I will say this, that 100% of the time, uh, I will say almost 100% of the time, uh, people that I have dealt with, whatever issue it is, whether it's marital, whether it's, uh, whether it's a family issue with, with children, whatever it is, most of the time, uh, predominantly most of the time, what's taking place is, is that people are dealing with sin. Sin that's dividing and separating. Whether it's a husband and a wife, uh, or it's a child, or whatever it may be, uh, we can say, wow, pastor, how do you know? It's easy when you start talking about the situation, and you can really get down to the point and say, well, here's the real issue, and the majority of the time it's dealing with sin. Sometimes it's something that's been carried into a marriage. You know, one spouse will hide something you know, uh, from their fiancé that the fiancé had no, no idea about when they come in to the marriage with it, and then later it, it exposes itself. And then people are like, wow, where did that come from? Well, it's always been there. You know what I'm saying? It's always been there, but it was hidden. Other times I've seen where families have been rocked and destroyed by things where the couple gets married and they know the issue is there. You know, let's say alcohol or, or whatever it may be, there's an issue that they know is there, but they've minimized it and said, I love this person so much, I'll overlook that, and then we'll, we'll go on and, and it'll be okay. And then what happens later is, is it explodes and it blows up into a big thing, 
And then before you know it, there's a family again being separated and divided. Or I've seen parents come in for the concern of children. You know, a child will do something. Whether they're adult or whether they're teens or ch- little children, I've seen it. And, and, and a lot of times it's, it's connected with their behavior of rebellion and, and, and refusal to come to Christ and some issues. Folks, it, any situation, any issue that we deal with in our lives as, as families, as individuals, is 100% of the time connected toward our rebellion against God. Amen. Our selfishness, lies deceit listen you don't you're not going to have a good marriage if you're lying to one another amen you're not going to have a good relationship with your kids if you're lying to your kids they see you they know the truth you can't lie to them when we step into a realm of hypocrisy saying one thing and doing something else the kids first ones that's going to see it be disgusted by it say i'm done with it Folks, listen, the reason there's so much of this stuff happening and taking place, we're going to dive into Joshua this morning and see some of the things that he addresses here. He's basically coming from the standpoint of, of a family. It's the end of, book, end of the book of Joshua, it's chapter 24. And Joshua, by this point, geographically and timing-wise, it's vitally important for us to understand where this message is happening. And I'll explain why here in a few minutes. But they have come out of Egypt... They have wandered in the wilderness. They disobeyed God. A generation fell in the wilderness. They come across the, the, uh, the, the Jordan River. It dries up. They make a pillar of 12 stones. They destroy Jericho. God gives them a miraculous battle. God, uh, place after place after place, God gives them authority, victory. They take over the place that God had promised them they would take over. They're living in houses they didn't build. They were eating food that they didn't plant and grow themselves. They were blessed because God would go before them and fight for them. Am I in the book? And this is where they were. They were to this point. And Joshua, here in the end of the book, says, Hey, I need everybody to come together. I need an assembly here together. Because I've got to tell you something from God. In this message this morning, we see that taking place beginning in verse 2. He says this, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, which is the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to, uh, to Esau. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. And I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help. And he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the desert for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, the son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. 
It's a whole bunch of ites. How you doing today? Ite. <laughs> Don't do that. Ite. Because if I do ite all the time, then it'd be like I'm a bobite. And all the ites got killed. But anyway, but I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them, and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Again, Joshua standing in the promised land. Joshua standing in the inheritance of the promised land begins by telling them about their history. He begins by saying, you have a heritage. And here is your heritage. You have a grandfather, Abraham's father named Terah, who was supposed to go to Canaan. If you go back and read about this in Genesis, you'll see that that's where he was headed. But he stopped. And instead of going in obedience where he was supposed to go before, he settled. And it says that he settled there. He had children and he died there. So many times, folks, we fall short of where God's really intended us to be because we've settled. We just kind of stop. We find a happy place, get comfortable, settle in. We don't want to get involved. Don't want to keep being challenged or move forward. That's what he did. He settled. But Abraham was raised up, and Abraham changed the cycle, and he went forward in obedience to the place that God had told Terah to go. What's my point? My point is this. There's a room full of people here today that have a history, a family history. And if you were to go back and look on it, you're going to find probably, for most of us, a family where somebody has had to shift things, has had to change things. Probably there's not a a heritage of anybody in this room that you can trace back, all the way back to Jesus of faithfulness with people who serve 100% of the time in faithfulness to God. Probably if we traced our history back, we could go back to greats or or grandparents or somebody that maybe didn't serve God, but one stepped up and said, I'm done, I'm going to serve. You know, I I think of my grandfather, Mac Fairchild, Mac and Rebecca Fairchild. I wish everybody in this room could have known them. They were awesome people, great people. I know a lot of you in this room did know them, uh, precious, precious souls. It was funny to me when I got older and actually had to hear the story that grandpa didn't always serve Jesus. Because my whole life, I always understood, Grandma and Grandpa, we serve Jesus. And you don't not serve Jesus in front of Grandma and Grandpa. You know what I'm saying? That's who we are. That's our heritage. That's us. But come to find out, obviously, later in years that that it was in a tent revival that my grandfather uh, did not give his life to first. I think my grandma did. I can't remember the story. Was it Grandma first? It was Grandpa first. I have one shaking their head. I'm going to go with Marie, Mom. She's older and she was there. I... No, I'm just kidding. She wasn't there yet. She wasn't there yet. Grandpa, Grandpa had been outside and hearing these, these tent services, and it pricked his heart. And he went under a tree back in the, the property that, that is thankfully back in the family again. And he, would, he cried out to God and gave his life to Christ under a tree back in our woods. And they said when he came home, it was just totally different. It wasn't the same anymore after that. Grandma got saved, the family, we, well, this is a Christian home now. Grandpa had smoked up to that point, smoked cigarettes, and uh, he just believed the power of God to set him free. And he said, I'm not doing it anymore. Put cigarettes away, never smoked again. Folks, listen, my, my grandpa shifted things. He, he made himself a believer by bowing the knee to Christ 
in kind of the same sense that Abraham did and said, I'm going to move forward in obedience. And because of it, it set a path that our family is still blessed in today. I'm not saved because my last name's Fairchild. I'm saved because generation after generation has been invested Jesus Christ into our lives. It's that simple. And that's what Joshua just did. He said, look, this is your heritage. And then he began to tell them about their time of bondage and their time of deliverance. Listen, folks, every family, every person, every heritage, every history of everybody in this room has probably got some story of bondage and deliverance. Doesn't it? God's got to bring you out of something. I enjoyed this morning our men were going through and doing testimonies. And Jeremy Wise did his testimony today. It was awesome. Just awesome. God is powerful. God is amazing. Folks, there's a, there's a bondage and there's a deliverance. And then he also talked about their victories, those that they overcame. Every family's going to have victories in it. Every, every family's going to have stories they're going to tell around the dinner table. Well, one time, oh, we did this, oh, we did that. And they begin to share the good things about God in their lives. And that's what he just did. He just went through and he said, this is the whole story. This is how we ended up where we are today. The struggles, the victories. But then he gives a call of repentance in verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He keeps mentioning the river. He keeps mentioning the river. He mentioned the river in verse 2. He's talking about the fact that your father, Abraham, was on the other side of the river. Terah worshipped other gods on the other side of the river. On this side of the river, he worshipped other gods. He bowed down, he sacrificed, he honored idols. But Abraham broke that and said, I'm going to obey you, Lord. And the Lord took him across the river into Canaan land where he was blessed and he grew and he had children. And he was told by God, I'm going to make you a great nation. This river seems to be a symbolic separation between those who honor God with their lives and those who will not. One is is a path of disobedience and the other is a path of blessing. But he says this, he says, choose today. Whom you will serve. Whether it's the gods your forefathers worshipped on that side of the river before you were delivered, before you were brought into the promise, before you received the goodness of God. If you want to do that, do it and deal with your own consequences. Or are you going to worship the God that's brought you from there to here? And Joshua takes a leadership role and he says, as for me and my house, ultimately that's the only place that he had any authority to make this decision. Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Folks, do you know what blows my mind? It shouldn't because it's typical of human beings. They were delivered from idols. Abraham delivers himself from idols, worships the Lord. They go into captivity. They absorb within themselves the idols of the Egyptians. They leave Egypt. Egypt is destroyed. The gods of Egypt are destroyed and openly made a show of. And then they take with them the idols from Egypt. 
And then in the wilderness, they're worshiping idols. We know they even had an idol made at the foot of the mountain as Moses is up there receiving the Ten Commandments. We need a God we can see. What? Look up the hill. See the fire and the smoke. It's so typical of us. But yet, they took the idols with them. They continued with the idols until they crossed the river. Listen, folks, I would think that if it were me, if I was serving an idol and suddenly the Jordan River dries up for me to walk across it, I would think, you know what? Maybe he is real God. These people had received blessing after blessing. They ate the the, the food of angels for over 40 years. They saw the manifest presence of God through that time, that 40-year period. They saw Him in a pillar of a cloud and a fire. And they carried idols with them. And then they carried them into the new promised land, the place that was flowing with milk and honey. They bring them in. God delivers them from Jericho. He gives them all these things. And all along as they pack up and move into houses they didn't build, they grab their idols up with them too. It blows my mind. But we're all the same way. He looks at him and he says, Look, this God that's been so good to you, you need to make a decision because He'll only go so far with you in your idols. He's not going to go all the way there with your idols. Listen, you inherited the geographic place of promise, but you haven't inherited the spiritual promises of God because you're too busy worshiping other things. I've said this countless times and I'll say it again. These people leave and they have idolatry. They're hiding them and they're worshiping them. And then they continue in God's goodness and grace and they're excited about it. Don't you dare assume if you have hidden sin and idols in your life and God's blessed you, don't assume that that's His approval. That's His patience. And patience will come to an end when we do not repent. And that's the warning of Joshua. He knew that if they get in here and they get comfortable and they continue the behavior that belongs on the other side of the river here in the promised land, that God was not going to bless them for that. They had continued on with their gods. If I could say anything about the family in America today, it would be this. We've come into our comfortable promised land, but we are also a nation full of idols. Back in 2004 or 5, probably 2005, I had a big console television. It was huge. It was huge. <laughs> it's like this big, weighed 4,000 pounds. <laughs> Give or take. 32-inch screen, it was massive. And uh, it had had some issues. I don't know if it was magnetized or what, but... The corners would have weird colors on them. So I'm watching the TV, and the middle was good, but the corners had weird colors. And, and uh, I kept telling April, we need a new television. She said, no, we don't. You're fine. I said, we don't, no, we need a new television. How am I supposed to watch football like this? So we had a storm come in, one of those spring, summer, you know, early spring-summer storms as you're crossing over, and kind of like some of the ones we had this last week, ton of lightning is could hear it coming and april says we better start unplugging stuff i said stop (laughs) i said unplug everything else but don't unplug that television 
She said, why? I said, maybe God will bless us and he'll strike it. Strike it dead. And I'm not kidding you folks. No sooner than those words come out of my mouth, lightning hit our antenna. I'm honest to God's truth. Boom! I watched that TV fry in front of me. And, and there was smoke in the house. And April's like, way to go. Now you just burned down the house. So I, I run upstairs in the attic and there's smoke in the attic. I'm like, I mean, I'm like a, like a coon dog just sniffing around. Fine, aired out, no, no problems, and, and uh, dead television. So I said, I need to get me a nice flat screen. Yes. yes. Can I get an amen? So I did, and it, uh, it was a 42-inch. It was huge. It was huge. Huge 42-inch television. Everybody say, it was huge. huge. Yes. So I put it up on my TV, and well, just in the last year or so, there's a corner of it starting to kind of get black. It wasn't as bright as it normally was, and, and I told April, I said, you know, we need a new television. She said, we don't need a new television. I said, I'm going to start praying for rain. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, we've been doing some, some uh, work on our house and changing things over the last three or four years preparing for graduation. That's the motivation to make us do something. You know what I'm talking about? So we were changing the room around. She said, well, well let's make that room in there for Alyssa and her friends because we don't want them around us. I said, okay. So we made this room. <laughs> and she said, well, we'll put the television in there. And uh, this TV? She's like, yeah. So I was like, in- instantly, poof, yes, new television. So we put the, the huge 42-inch television in the room. So I'm shopping for a new TV. Yes. Can I get an amen? amen. Yes. Yeah, so I'm shopping for a new TV. And uh, I'm at Walmart, and I'm looking around, and I see this one. It was a nice 60-inch television. You always got to upgrade. You know what I'm saying? 60-inch, UHD, 4K. And I'm going, that's probably the one I'm going to get. I knew my price range. Like, and they, April said, what do you think? I said, I want that one. They said, okay. I mean, it's not a 70-inch. It's not an 80-inch television. It's just 60-inch television. So I sent the guy back to get it, and he goes back and says, we don't have any more. And I said, oh, I'll take the 55-inch then. So he goes back with the 55-inch. He goes, hey, uh, I do have a 65-inch of another brand for the same price as the 60-inch. I said, UHD 4K? He said, yeah. I said, I'll take it. <laughs> so I text Alyssa. I said, 60-inch TV. And then she's like, yes. And I said, make that 65-inch TV. She's like, what? So I put it on the wall, and it's all ready, and it's like, and April comes down. She's working another area in the house, and I said, what do you think? She goes, looks like an idol. (laughs) All the air just sucked out of the room. Thanks, honey. Love you, honey. You can't watch it, honey. It's all just hanging there waiting for football season. But, (laughs) easy jam. I joke about it, but the truth of the matter is this. When was the last time you didn't open your Bible and turn on your television? You know, we we are so full of idolatry and the little things and things in life that that, uh, really and truly, I know it was all just for fun, but I got more response out of you from television and football than I ever did with the Word of God. You know, I mean, we're just... We're a culture about things. I mean, we're just embedded in things. And if we're not careful, we'll allow those things to take such a precedence in our lives that it will confuse us, and we will have idols that we don't even know about. Look at verse uh, 16. We'll see the deception of idolatry. 
He just, con- he just challenged them and said, you've got idols in your house. And they look at him and say, then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us, uh, us and our fathers, excuse me, up out of Egypt from the land of the slavery, performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us in our entire journey. And among all the nations through which we traveled, and the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites and, and, uh, who lived in the land, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Doesn't this sound like the rhetoric of Christians today? Well, yeah, we're going to serve the house. He says, you've got idols in your house. And they say, well, far be it from us to not worship God. The deception of idolatry. When you have an idol in your house, and he says you've got an idol in your house that you need to get rid of, and they say, oh no, far be it from us to do something like that. Isn't it typical of us to be so deceived that we don't even know that we're worshiping something other than God? Isn't it typical of us to be so deceived that we assume that it's okay to mix our worship with other gods? And that it's okay to take the behaviors that belong on the other side of the river and bring it over into the promises? They were deceived. You know, here's the bad thing, folks. We, I guess, let me say it this way. We need to pray and we need to seek God on what those idols are in our lives because there are some and we need to work on them. I'm not saying you can't ever watch a television. I'm not saying you can't ever relax. But boy, we could sure give up some of it for some time in the Word and prayer. Amen? Some of you say, Pastor, I don't, I don't have any idols. And you're like these people. Pastor's talking about idols But he doesn't know what's in my house, so he's assuming, we're going to assume that it's somebody else. Joshua gets up and speaks the words of God that says, you've got idols in your house, you need to deal with them. And then they say, I'm going to assume that's for everybody else because nobody knows what I've done. Nobody knows what's going on in my life. Some of us think we're so sneaky. We can hide everything and nobody knows about it. Can Can I tell you something? God sees all and knows all. So as I say this this morning, if there's something that's poking you in the heart that's saying, wow, I have made that an idol in my life, then you need to be careful and you need to deal with it. Don't wait for me to show up and say, I was talking to you. Because I'm not going to do that. Also, parents who think that your idolatry and the things you worship in private, your secret sin that your wife or your husband's not seen or your children haven't seen, let me, let me tell you this. You can keep it hidden all you want to, but there's a spirit attached to it. And as long as you let that in your home, it's going to attach itself to the rest of your family. They may never see you bow at that altar. They may never see you commit that sin. They may never see, uh, know that you lied to them. They may never understand that you have deceived them in any way or that there's been any kind of a lust issue or anything else. But I can promise you, mark my words, they may never see you bow at that altar, but that spirit will attach itself to them and they too will worship, whether openly or in secret. People say to me, Pastor, I don't understand the scripture. You know, there's, there's passages about little children that are demon-possessed. How is that possible? An innocent little child. Why would God let an innocent little child be demon-possessed and Jesus have to cast a demon out of it? I don't understand that. Well, here's my answer. I've had many a phone calls from people outside of this church calling and saying, this is going on in my house. It's weird. 
I've had folks call me. I remember one incident specifically where a little girl, four years old, had, uh, had, a, had an imaginary friend that she would talk to on the phone. And it would say things about mom and dad. And she had seen the imaginary fa- friend, and when she described the imaginary friend, it'd make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. Four years old. And the family's like, what in the world? How, how in the world? How do we deal with this? Can you just come and pray over our home? And I said, no. No, that's not how this thing works. I don't show up with holy water and sprinkle it. I don't go in and say a blessing and, and then leave and think, listen, if I could go in there and pray something out, it's just going to come back unless you repent of your sins and you give your life to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life and you make yourself an authority over your home. That's the only way the enemy is not going to have any connection with your children whatsoever. The only way that this, this demon or whatever it was that was affecting this child is because that mom and dad had left this child's life wide open for it. I don't know what they had involved themselves in. I don't know what they were pursuing, witchcraft or whatever else that allowed this into their house. But I'm telling you, moms and dads, whatever idol you bow before, that spirit will attach itself to your children. Seen it a hundred times over. We pray against the spirit of coughing. Bless you. We have to get ourselves in order, amen? Amen. We have got to get ourselves in the right place with God, not just geographically in blessing. You know, a lot of times, unfortunately, people will get into the church, they'll change their geography, they'll come to the church and feel like, well, that's good, I've done a good thing, and never allow themselves to grow spiritually. And so Joshua is saying, it doesn't matter where you live if you continue the, be- continue the behavior that was on the other side of the river. So he calls them to renew a covenant. Renewing the covenant through repentance. Verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. How would you like it if I just came in every Sunday and said, you know what? Here's our, we'll have worship. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Announcements, offering. Then I just say, you know what? You're not able to worship the Lord. It's a tough message every week, isn't it? These people who had been told, you got idols in your home, they said, far be it from us to do something like that. He looks at them and says, you know what? You're not even able to worship the Lord. In other words, saying, you're not able to worship as you are. In a place of rebellion, he says, he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after He has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. A witness against yourself. Do you hear the wording? These people never admitted that they were going to deal with their idols. You are witnesses against yourselves. They replied, verse 23, Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey Him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he drew up for them decrees and laws. You are not able. You know, I could repeat this message week in and week out. Joshua had to repeat it. He repeated it twice. Get rid of the idols in your house. He told them two different times and still they were thick-headed and they would not do it. He said, you're a witness against yourself. We will honor God. Well, we all know what the book of Judges, what happens. 
Did they throw their idols out? Did they fully turn away? No. Joshua was gone. In this day and age, in that time, Israel was without a king, and every man just did whatever he saw fit. And so they would go into bondage, and then they'd raise up a a judge to deliver them, and they would break down the altars and smash the altars and the idols and the Asherah poles and Ashtoreths and all these other gods. And then people would be mad about Baal being, oh no, they tore down Baal's altar. They would be delivered, they'd be blessed, another generation would pass, they would fall into bondage because of their idol worship, another judge would be raised up, and they would, they would deliver them, and then they would be blessed for another generation, and another generation would pass. And it was the same cycle over and over. Listen, folks, I don't want that cycle to be the cycle of my home. If you don't put your gods away, your kids will pick them up. At some point, there's got to be repentance. At some point, we've got to put away and destroy and get rid of the idols in our lives. It is not possible for us to serve God in an unrepentant matter. Jesus even said it. It is not possible to serve God in mammon. It's not person, per, uh, not able to serve God in money. In other words, you're going to love one master and you're going to hate the other. You cannot serve two masters. It's one or the other. And God says, I am not going any further with you and your idols. I've blessed you. I've given you what you need. I'm not going any further with you and your idols. There needs to be an advancement in closing this morning. For us to get past this, for us to get past this, there's got to be a movement in the home. Moms and dads, singles even, uh, it doesn't matter. There's got to be an authority taken in your home. And, and here's, here's what I shared with our prayer partners. This is a whole lot longer, more in depth than what I shared with our prayer partners. But what I shared with them that morning of the prayer retreat was a reminder of what I talked about in the book of Daniel where Daniel had been praying for an answer and he fasted and prayed. And uh, the angel comes to him later and says, that he was delayed because the, the prince of Persia had withstood him. The spiritual powers behind the kingdom of Persia withstood him. And there was a war going on in the heavenlies that Daniel knew nothing about. And I said in that message that the, the important thing about that war in the heavenlies was the fact that King Cyrus, Cyrus was the ruler of the time, and it was Cyrus that would decree the Jews to go back to their home and rebuild their temple. Listen, folks, natural things like that, and he would even fund it. Natural things like that don't happen without a spiritual battle first that we don't see. Amen. And, and so our desire was that day of the prayer retreat was to pray for our families uh, to have a deeper hunger for Christ to put away their idols. You have been prayed for. We prayed for every single family on that list, on our list that's a part of our church that day. We had people coming in and saying, wow, I didn't realize God was doing this, but now that you said you were praying for us, I know why. God doesn't just want to bless you. He wants to deliver you. And the desire of His heart is for you, when you see an idol in your life, when you see a behavior that's not becoming of the Lord, when you see rebellion or disobedience, things in your life that are in that place, He wants you to repent of them and put them away and trust Him. And when we do trust Him, the blessing will come. 
But the blessing will only go so far when we pick up our idols and go with Him. It will come to an end. Amen? See, God wants us to repent. And I spoke a little bit about our families, and I spoke a little bit about our families with kids. But in closing, let me say this. Has anybody ever watched Jensen Franklin on television? Anybody ever seen Jensen Franklin? I like Jensen. He's kind of a fiery little preacher down there in Atlanta. Not Atlanta, he's in Georgia. I don't know where he's at in relation to Atlanta. But I like him because he's a good preacher and he's got a full head of hair. (laughs) It's a little bit speckled. Now he's got some gray going on. I told April when it was on the other day and we flipped by it. uh, I was watching him and it was a good word. It was a good word. I was like, hey, he's got nice hair. I wish I had hair. If I had hair like Jensen, I'd do the same thing he does. I'd flip it all over and run my fingers through it. Wouldn't that be nice? Some of you can do that. I can't do that. But Jensen was given this message, and uh, he was talking about families too. And in, the, in, in uh, this reference, he said a man that he knew. And I don't know if this man maybe had knowledge of Christ or, or, or what, but uh, this guy had every day the same routine and would get out of bed early in the morning. He'd walk to work. And as he was walking to work, there was a bar that he would go by, and he would just stop and have a drink and say, See you guys, later I'm going to work. And he'd go to work having had a drink. And uh, this one particular morning, they had gotten a little bit of snow, and uh, the snow was just a real thin layer on the ground. And it was enough that while he, while he was walking, he could see his, you know, his tracks in the snow, whatever. And he was on his way to work, and he stopped in. And he turned and got ready to go in the door of the bar. And he kind of turned and looked out of his eye. He saw movement. And what he saw was his, his little five-year-old had stepped out of the house behind him, unaware, his wife unaware. And he turned around to see the little guy walking down the street, but doing this, stretching his legs and stepping in his dad's footprints. And the dad, it just it gripped his soul immediately. Where that little guy was following was where he was leading. And he stopped and took his hand off the door and went back and scooped up his boy. Took him home where he was safe, where he was supposed to be. Got him back with the mom. And this man immediately went to his basement and fell on his face before God and said, Please forgive me. He didn't want to lead his son into a path of bondage. And he repented and he didn't. Folks, we have that opportunity to stop and say, I don't want to lead my son. I don't want to lead my daughter. I don't want to lead my grandchildren into bondage because they're watching me. And he used this analogy, which I thought was awesome. We sing that little song for for our kids in kids' church, you know, be careful little eyes what you see. One of those is be careful little feet where you go. He made this connection. He said, you know what? We need to quit worrying about where the little feet are going to go and start thinking about where the big feet are going to go because the little feet are going to follow where the big feet are at. And we need to start considering ourselves as adults what it is that we're looking at and what it is that we're listening to and what it is that we're saying and what it is that we're worshiping because whatever it is is what the little feet are going to go do as well right after us. Are there idols in your house? Are there things in your life that need to be cut off? It's my prayer right now. Lord, reveal it to them. 
but it can be dealt with. In Jesus' name. And I do that in love, and please understand when I say something like that, I consider myself as well. Joshua had to consider himself, did he not? He said, choose you this day whom you're going to serve, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua says, there's not going to be any idols in my home. You're not going to, you can come in my house and go through drawers. You can come in here and go through all kinds of stuff, people. You're not going to find any idols. It's open. You come in here and get on Joshua's computer anytime you want. Search it. You can go through Joshua's closet. He don't care. Look under his bed. Look between the mattresses if you want to. He don't care. Folks, that's the kind of peace that God wants us to have. That kind of confidence. No idols here. So this morning we're going to close praying for families. If you and your family are here and would like to pray together, that's fine. You're welcome to do that. I would encourage that. If you're here without family and you want to just pray by yourself, that's okay. Even a single person, even someone who's single, a widow, or or some of our young unmarried couples, whatever it is. Listen, we all still need to set a foundation for our home. Amen? But whoever you are, if you want to pray in families, go ahead and just begin moving that way right now. I'm going to pray a prayer over all of us. If you want to come up here to the altars, you can. I'm not going to stop you. Uh, you want to stay in your seat, you can. We just, we're going to take a moment here in the presence of God. Can you just sense His presence? He's any he good? Wow. He's so good. We love you, Lord. We worship you. 